Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. My name's Imran, TJ Sutherland, Dan Colacott, with new episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month. Catch Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. I'm here with my fellow wingman, Dennis Jose Francois. Hello. And Richard Roth. Hello. And we've got a, a different lineup for you because um, we, we've basically, we've subbed in the outsiders. We've, we've done a takeover because uh, Iman <laughs> is on a, NXT. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Iman is, I believe, he's gone to Butlins uh, <laughs> with, his, with his children and, and TJ is actually vanished. So the, the police are out looking for him. So we'll let we murdered know. them. <laughs> don't tell them god can't admit these things you know if anything bad does happen now <laughs> we're gonna like, yeah we're gonna feel so if one of them gets in a car accident or something then all of a sudden <laughs> well at least we know Inman should be fairly safe in butlins unless a well inflatable <laughs> castle could like i don't know deflate and suffocate him maybe I've heard some stories. I won't go into them. <laughs> well, uh, just to kind of um, go a little bit left field uh, with the talent we have at our disposal, we are focusing on nostalgia. And specifically when I talk about nostalgia, um, really looking at the the kind of experiences we had during our childhood, kind of growing up and when, of course, you kind of look back at those memories, you look back at all the things you had as a childhood with, with fondness, it, it's interesting to ask the question, were those things really better? Are those things just, do they exist in our memory? Um, have things since moved on and gotten, you know, are, are we basically spoiled by all the things we have today, all the things we experience today? Um but somehow the, the, the treasured memories we have growing up um, are essentially falsified. It, it wasn't that good back then. The, the things that we had uh, were far worse than what we have now, but we look at them to, I guess, rose-tinted specs. So I think where I want to start is um, I'm going to go to you, Dennis, and I'm going to say what, what is the one thing that you had growing up that you don't have now that you would want? One thing I had growing up that I don't have now that I would want is time. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's quite difficult to put that in words, but I think it's actually um, the world was fleeting back then. Memories were once only and then lost and we live in a world now where we have a million digital pictures and instant communication and watch again TV and instant downloads. So what I'm missing is anticipation. I know that's not quite the answer you were probably looking for. Wow. But it's the wow. anticipation of things which is gone. And I think that's what made everything seem better back then. I remember when um, you when we were teenagers in the 80s, uh, so first of all, there was obviously no internet, but not only was there no internet, 
there was no um uh, you wouldn't uh there was no streaming there was no you couldn't just watch a trailer for something every time you wanted and there was also a big gap between when things not only went from the cinema to the tv but went from say the usa to europe like sometimes as much as a year or more um and i one of the things i found when i first came to the north america which was actually canada which is where i am now was i remember arriving in canada for the first time in 1988 opening the newspaper going straight to the to the cinema section and seeing <laughs> all these films that i had never heard of not even slightly which were huge films here and they they wouldn't be in the UK for months and i went to the cinema about 500 times that summer <laughs> i saw who framed roger rabbit and uh, uh. all sorts of things and and because it i didn't even know these films were coming i didn't know anything about them you couldn't see a trailer you sort of went into everything blind and there's a much bigger enjoyment for that i remember in the 80s when we were teenagers we would go into the west end to play in the arcades and on the way back we'd walk down wardour street and it's actually the building where the visual effects studio npc is now but i i don't know what it was it was one of the film distributors and in these big windows along wardour streets they would have set photography from upcoming films and i remember the day we, so you'd see like in one window there'd be all the photography from you know you name a film from the 80s it would be there but i remember the day more than any other that we saw the photography for the upcoming movie robocop and me and my friends went absolutely bonkers there were like about five pictures and it was robocop ed 209 there's just a couple of little captions underneath it was like five photos one big one four small ones and that's all that's all we knew we didn't, there was, wow. I think it might have said a release date and we were so desperate to see this, this movie, right? Um, we couldn't, that was it. That was the only thing we had. And probably about a week before the movie, they had a couple of little clips on, you know, film 88 or whatever it would have been with Barry Norman. <laughs> I don't know what year it was. And, uh, and it was so exciting to go to the movies. And then that's it. Once you'd seen it, unless you paid to watch it again, you weren't, you weren't going to see it until it came out on video, which was probably at least a year, if not more after that right so that's what i miss and that applies to nearly everything whether it's tv video your know, music sweets technology it's the anticipation and now we just have instant gratification for everything and that element is uh, kind of lost wow See, I, I thought you were just going to say that the Monster Munch used to be bigger. Yeah, part of that deep answer was the fact that I can't actually think of any one thing, but I will by the end of this podcast, so uh, I <laughs> um, definitely will. No, I mean, that's a really good answer, and I think I want to build on that because um, before I bring in uh, Mr. Roth to the conversation... I remember the, the huge anticipation of going to America because in America, you know, I, was, I was a big Nintendo gamer, and what you had over here in terms of NES games and um, Super NES games, uh, and I think probably Game Boy, Mega Drive, ev everything, it felt like we, we Brits got something like 25% of what you had in America in yeah. terms of all the games, all the licenses. Um, and I, I remember even trying to, I, I think I tried to buy 
uh, an NES game and bring it back and try and work out a way <laughs> of, um, of of playing it on my NES and obviously couldn't. Um, uh, I think Mega Drive and SNES, you had those weird adapter things. Where yeah, you, action replay. Yeah, exactly, where you kind of plug them in and then put the cartridges on top. But I think, you know, what you were saying about films, Dennis, where there was like, you know, you had to wait up to a year for something to get released over here that was released first. Or longer, or it would never be released at all and go straight to VHS. Yeah. And and that was, and, and there was this real, I don't know, it, I, I don't know, like heavenly essence to, to, to everything that um, you had in America that was just so much better than what you, what you could get <laughs> over here. I mean, for God's sake, that the, 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 the Teenage Mutant Turtles, they were ninja over there. They were hero over here. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And, and every, you know, American kids got everything first. Um, even the toys were better because they, they were always getting um, longer runs of toys and, and American exclusives that you didn't get over here. So, I, I you know, I spent my, my childhood kind of, you know, in awe of America, and when I did go over there, it, it was the most incredible experience because there was just so many different things that you could get, even from comics and graphic novels that you, you didn't couldn't easily access over here. And now that gap has closed. I'm not not saying there aren't still things that you know are, are going to be easier to find or get hold of, or even cheaper, you know, in America and Canada, but. It, it it's different you know it you know that mm. mo- most things are universal it, even cinema releases it's rare that a film gets released in america more than a, a month um before it gets released in britain in fact i think it's actually changed and a lot of releases uh come out in the uk and europe before they come out in america because it lessens the impact of people trying to uh torrent the films and piracy right. yeah, well i mean absolutely. now what what they did with like black widow and things which disney's got in trouble for is everything's just releasing streaming because of the pandemic and now they're realizing oh well we can just cut out the cinema middleman altogether and just release it on streaming for four times or two or three times mm-hmm. the price that people are going to go see it in the cinema and Make money but, that way. But don't you genuinely miss going to the cinema? Because do you remember there's that old expression, you know, oh, it's all about the trailers, or I don't want to miss the trailers. But now, mm. when was the last time you went to the, to, the, to the cinema and saw a trailer that you hadn't actually already seen, or not, not, not already seen, for a movie that you didn't even know was coming? Oh, that was the best, though, when you'd go and, like, you'd sit there and watch, and then all of a sudden something would come out, and then after you've watched the film and come out, you're you're talking more about the trailers you saw, and, oh, that's coming out, oh, this is coming out. I still remember I went to see the Adam Sandler movie, The Waterboy, specifically yeah. because <laughs> it had the Phantom Menace trailer on it beforehand. And then apparently I, I saw on the news, and you know how the news exaggerates, so, but this strikes me as something that would happen, that people went just to see the trailer and then left after that. That's right, yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> It was different films in different countries, but that did happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember, and I think I know we've probably discussed this on another podcast, but um, the first time I went to New York, um, because I was too young to drink alcohol, there was nothing really to do. You know, after you've, you've eaten in the evening, there's nothing really 
much as a as a young adult then um, that I I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, okay, I can't really, I I can't. I'm too too young to go to a pub, really. So I just went to the nearest cinema in Times Square and and saw The Matrix. And I didn't know the movie existed. Oh. Did not know. I'd never heard of it. Mm. Um, the fact it had Keanu Reeves in it, who kind of before that was a bit, I don't know, he, he was probably more more famous for being in Bill and Ted um, <laughs> and other sort of uh, lower rent action movies. So I remember sort of seeing him on this big billboard that was um, at the end, uh, outside, basically, on the end of the building. And I was like, oh, okay, it's a Keanu Reeves action film. Never heard of it, but had nothing else to do. So I went to see it. And yeah, and you, you just don't, there's no, there's no build-up. I think, I think Phantom Menace is a good example. Probably the last film that I, you know, the, the, the build-up, the anticipation, the, the kind of being fed all the different um, pieces of information about what it was uh, and feeling it was something just completely new. Uh, man, that's probably the last time I think I look forward to a film um, as much as that. I think for me it was probably a bit later than that. Like It was probably the Avengers, when it, the first Avengers movie, or Avatar when it came out. Um, but then those are circumstantial, you know, with, with Avatar, and I know you don't care for the movie, Dan, um, I was living in Japan at the time. So while I was living in Japan, I had a similar thing where I, I was sort of starved of any media. I hadn't seen any trailers. It, you know, all right, there was the internet, but um, it was still a bit more retro for me while I was living out there. And I think that's a lot to do with what we're talking about, isn't it? It's partly to do with your, with your surroundings. And as Richard just mentioned, now we have straight to streaming um, and that's just completely erased any kind of, you know, oh God, we got, do you, I remember the dilemma of trying to decide when to go to the movies to see something. Do you want to go on the opening weekend when it's going to be really busy and the cinema's going to yeah. be really noisy and there might be kids there? Do you want to wait a couple of weeks, but then it might go to a smaller screen? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like the idea of which cinema should we go to? Should we go to one of the big ones in the West End or should we go to a local one? You know what I mean? And now, of course, straight to streaming everything, that's probably all, that's also a, now just a, an idea of nostalgia. The fact that you would plan an evening like that. And, uh, you know, some of that's to do with COVID, some of that's to do with the internet world we live in. Um, so, yeah. Um, so throwing the question open to Mr. Roth, um, what was the last thing you thought about um, growing up that you really wish you had now, but you don't. I was trying to think of that as well. Um, it, to follow on with the existential sort of side of things. Um, this sounds really kind of off putting, but the kind of, I don't want to say hopes and dreams for the future because that makes it sound like I'm sort of like <laughs> depressed. Wow. <laughs> no, but it was like when you, I kind of, I think, which a lot of people do when you get older, you get more cynical. But also when I was younger, I just thought like everything in the future would be like better. And like the older I'm getting, the more I'm like, 
basically the point of this podcast it's like are things getting better like tech is getting more advanced but are things necessarily getting better and it's like i used to just be really really excited for anything new like anything new that new console coming out excited and then i was talking with a friend last night about ps5 an xbox series what i don't know what the hell the new xbox is called and we were like are you gonna talking are you gonna get one and i was like i couldn't tell you a single game that's like exclusive on i mean i know they're there and i'm sure any gamers listening would like just i don't i don't think they are to be but honest but it's like i, I was like this I could, day and i was like what is what is there that they're i don't get it and it's like if we go back to 1994, I could have told you all the PlayStation launch games. I could have told you all the games in development. I mean, half of them never came out for the Nintendo 64. I could have told you all the killer games for Saturn. I knew like everything. It was like what the console you had was like this, that, and like everything. Like so many cool games were coming out left, right, and center. And like they're coming out now, but it's like I don't want to play Fortnite. I don't want to. I don't want to play on. Like if you don't want to play online, it's like oh, well, we've got this, and it's like. This really does make me sound a bit old manish, which is true. But it, at the same time, it's like I used to just be so excited for new stuff. And now it's like I'm not even excited for new phones because like phones feel like they've stopped innovating. And it's yeah. like so much. I say, like, okay, well, what, what cars? Like, I mean, how much faster? Like Tesla's now do zero to 60. That upcoming Tesla Roadster does zero to 60 in like one second. It's going to get to <laughs> like, if it's any faster, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you. So like just with the G force and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, what, what new it's like, what's there to, I don't want to say what's there to get excited about. I say I get more excited about kind of like personal things in life, like seeing family and friends and things like that. It's like, I've kind of switched, I guess I'm less shallow, but <laughs> I've kind of switched from being hyped. I mean, even like, we're just talking about movies. Yeah. Just talking about that. And it's kind of like, I can wait. Like when I was younger, like you speak of the matrix, I was living in the States at the time and the hype for the matrix was through the roof because that year at the Super Bowl, they showed the, the, the teaser trailer on the, on an advert. And like, they didn't tell you what it was about. They even say no one can be told what the matrix is. And like the next day at school, that's all any of us geeks were talking about was like what even not just the geeks everyone's like what's that matrix movie what the hell is that what's that about so the hype was so big and then when it came out and it like lived up to the expectation it was just like wow this is incredible and it's like i'm not hyped for any film i i, I think dune might be pretty cool but i'm not hyped for dune the way i was hyped for the matrix and like yeah i mean part of that is just me getting older and i'm sure this is it i'm sure younger people now have the things that they're into and stuff but for me personally the older i'm getting like i think it is just as well just the older you get and the more experience you get so so the more numb you become to things like that but yeah i'm just i'm more excited about like oh i'm gonna go see my cousins in a few weeks or oh i'm going i'm going to uh, someone's wedding soon you know that the kind of thing that when i was younger i was like oh i don't want to do that i want to go to the movies (laughs) whereas now i'm like do I do I want to go to the movie? Oh, saying that, I did actually go to the movies to watch Black Widow the other week <laughs> for the first time in a year. So, wow! So, yeah. is that what you just described, Richard? Though that is genuinely, like you sort of saying, is to do with getting older, isn't it? Because I'm exactly the same. But mm. part of that is also because you've been there, seen it, done it. Yeah, yeah, I think you know? so. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think there there is a, there is a slight difference between um, the, the generation that's growing up now and our generation is because the, the advances in technology 
at the moment, sort of, if you said the last sort of maybe five, ten years, that they're getting, it's getting smaller and smaller. Whereas, you know, I, I remember when I was four years old, I had a rubber a rubber keypad spectrum that had forty eight k of memory. And if th- if you think of that in the terms of sending an email, you know, an, an email that that you <laughs> send to anyone has more uses more memory than that. So we've 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 gone from that to handheld devices that allow you to play, you know, games that are as powerful as the as the you know the arcade games that we used to sort of you know spend time p- plugging money into it it you know i i think it, it it's kind of what what frustrates me is that if if you both remember the the tv series tomorrow's world mm-hmm. um you used to see things on that that even before now like earlier the, earlier than now it was predicted we'd have an Android helper around the house doing all the doing all the housework, doing all the chores and the crap things that we don't want to do. So Instead, we we've got Google Home and Siri. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, you know, Back to the Future predicted um, all these cool things like self-drying coats and hoverboards that actually hover, not just a, 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 a poxy segue. Do you know what I mean? It, it's... <laughs> It, it but feels to, like but to be hovering cars. But to, to be fair, we've also got a lot of lot of things which weren't predicted, and some which were. If you look at our tech, our instant communication technology, download speeds, just the whole thing of streaming. Look at the consoles we have. I mean, and you say Siri and Alexa and Google now, but they're actually quite remarkable. There's a really good uh, documentary online. It's done by Google, which uh, explains how the Google search works. And when you watch it you suddenly realize how incredible it is because from anywhere in the world on anywhere in any device, you type a question and pretty much get an answer within two seconds. This is it. It's like we've got the future, but it's just not the flashy future we thought we were getting in the 80s. <laughs> no. So we're not getting the flying cars, but we will have, like there was an ad for, and I can't remember if I've mentioned this in a previous podcast. There used to be an ad in America for Quest Communications. This is late 90s. And I think Quest were like a, um, a broadband infrastructure, uh, internet infrastructure. I can't remember what exactly. I don't think they exist anymore. And it was this guy, this disheveled looking businessman who walks into a roadside motel and there's a girl behind the counter reading a book and she looks awfully lot like Liv Tyler, I remember. And he goes, uh, I forgot where he comes in. He just says something like, you got breakfast? She's like, donuts and coffee. He's like, oh, he's like, well, what, what do you have for entertainment? And she goes, every room has access to every film every, ever made in any language available anytime, day or night. And he was like, well, how do you do that? And it's just like, Quest, use Quest for your broadband solution, whatever. And then it just turned into a normal ad. But I remember at the time thinking, being the teenager I was at the time, I was just like, I just want to stay at that motel. And I was like, now we kind of almost have it with all the streaming. I mean, admit it, we're paying for it now. But it was like, we have all these streaming services and stuff. And I was like, this is, this, I was actually told about this in the past. This is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think iPads are a good example. I mean, that was the realm of Star Trek until t- 2010 when they came out. And even, I remember, I remember very clearly when the iPad came out because it surprised the hell out of everyone. No one saw that coming. 
really. I think everybody imagined a tablet. Where I think people so knew, fun. like not new, but people were anticipating something. And then when it came what, out, everyone was just like, oh, wow, yeah. Blown away, absolutely blown away. And it was like we just had taken this quantum leap forward. And then suddenly two years later, everybody's got one. I mean, look, yeah. look at something like the Kindle Reader, which is now just, you know, you look at it like you would a doorstop or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, the battery life lasts for 30 days and can hold however, like can hold a library of books in it. You know? It's, it's, um, it's, Pe- Penny Arcade, the comic on the internet, mm-hmm. did a great strip where they were like, um, he says, when I bought Baldur's Gate for PC in the late 90s, it came on five CDs or something. He's like, and now <laughs> I just materialized it out of thin air on a device I would have seen on Star Trek. The future's here. I just didn't even notice or something akin to yes, that. Yeah, and it was yeah, like, that's yeah. one of the first times it hit me. Actually, yeah. I was like, oh, no, I guess we kind of are in the future yeah. in I certain mean, ways. E- even if you go to the bigger, the bigger things like, say, you know, hoverboards, whatever, we do actually have cars which can drive and park themselves. And you can tell them to do that. I was in one, not just re- I was in a Tesla recently, and you can just tell it to do it. You don't even have to press a button. You just say auto drive or Tesla to me or whatever you've programmed it to do, and it will do it. You know. Now the question is whether it legally it's you're allowed to do it. But we went for a drive through um, in uh, I was in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago, and we were driving for a good portion of the way, and it was driving itself. You know, wow. and I'm like, okay, that's pretty, you know, you're supposed to legally keep your hands on the steering wheel and stuff like that, but it can. And, and there are versions which recognize traffic lights. What was really amazing is the dashboard of the car was a steering wheel and an iPad or an iPad-like device. And that was it. And on the iPad was all the information, including a, a sort of uh, 3D projection of all the things around it and like as cars go past you on the left you see a a 3d sim of that coming past you on the left on the ipad you know traffic lights coming up the road markings you've got the map there and it can pretty much drive itself and now that if that's not the future i don't know what is (laughs) so in a way you could also say that what we're missing our nostalgia for for the for the future Nostalgia. Do you know what I used to like when I was a kid was when you used to watch those sort of public information films from the fifties, the house of tomorrow, you know, and uh, I think back then they still seemed futuristic to a certain degree, possibly more because of the design of things than, than what they did. Like the all electric house and, you know, dad comes home from a hard day's work and presses a button and he has an instant steak, you know, stuff like that. Um, but there's another one, actually, microwave cooking and instant meals. Yeah. That was from the, the space program, I think, microwaves came out of. Well, um, that's interesting. That's the point I was going to make is it feels like a lot of technology came from either countries at being at war with each other, like the Cold War and the space race. I mean that's what essentially got us to the moon. Mm. Um, whereas it feels like I don't I don't understand. Um, even, even when I watched it, there's a, a program um, who, that's by the guy who did uh, Battlestar Galactica reimagined. Uh, I've completely forgotten the name of it. Mm. Um, which basically is a different. It's almost like a slightly alternate reality where Russia won the space race. And right. in that, 
Um, it, it feels oh, like for for all mankind. Yeah, for all mankind. That's that's it. And it, that's a really good series. But in that, there are things that you that are really simplistic. Like there's a there's a moon base. Well, we don't mm-hmm. have a moon base. <laughs> no, we haven't gone to Mars. In fact, I, there's there's been very few actual um, manned missions to the moon since. Mm you know, since the, the sixties. And, it, and it's really strange to think that we, we've got two idiot billionaires trying to turn it, you know, trying to, trying to fund incredibly veins, you know, space tourism. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to be like that. There's no, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would, I thought that in my lifetime, we would get to Mars, and, and I now don't believe that at all. I think the discussion about the billionaire space race is a different podcast. Although I would like to say, <laughs> I would like to say, I do think there's a difference between them. Richard Branson has been working towards this for a very, very, very long time, and it, I don't think it was ever anything to do with him being rich. It was him genuinely trying to do some kind of space program. Bezos is a different matter. Like the moment that Richard Branson did his. He and Amazon tweeted stuff like, well, you didn't really get a space and our, our spaceship is more eco-friendly than yours. Yeah. It looks like, like a willy. How did no yeah. one at any point in the design say, that's a cock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because then they would have to examine the fact that the back of Jess Bezos's head looks like an ass. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you seen, I don't know, it's two seasons. I haven't seen the back of his head, I don't have you, Well, I think season 21 or season 22 of, Star, of South Park is all about Amazon coming to South Park and Jeff Bezos's plot to get Alexas into everybody's home so that he can take over the world. And when he shows up in South Park himself, when he turns around, the back of his head is a giant asshole. <laughs> like he's got a bum on the back of his head with an asshole. And he's, I think he's in a floating chair like the Mekon. Uh, it's, br- it's brilliant, actually. So anyway, um, <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm going to pull this back because we, we <laughs> pull this back a little bit because we've we've gone quite random and we've got quite gone quite profound, which I think is actually awesome because I didn't think we would go. But you want to talk about confectionery? Yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to role play, right? I I am a shop owner mm-hmm. um, in the. I don't know, 80s and 90s, doesn't matter when. Right. Uh, starting with you, Dennis, come into my shop. What What would you, what What confectionery, like drink, crisps, chocolate, um, could be a magazine and a comic as well, if you've got enough pocket okay, money. What I would want, you buy? I want a Wizard and Chips, a King Cone, and a Ripple. What's a King Cone? It used, it was the, alter, it was the other type of Cornetto. Oh. You don't remember those? I, 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 I deliberately picked three things which you can't get anymore. You a Wizard a Chips comic. Ripple. Oh, does Ripple still exist? Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was. Yeah. A, I thought Flake was still there, but I didn't think Ripple was still there. Yeah, Galaxy Ripple. That that's one thing that that oh, right, stuck okay. around. Um, okay. King Cone. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't remember seeing one of those in recent. Uh, that might be already before you know. I'm what about ten years older than you, so maybe that is a little bit before your time. But if you search, I just searched King Cone on uh, Google, and sure enough, you get something which basically looks like a Cornetto. <laughs> okay. So. Richard Roth, same question to you, and it can be America or UK. 
Well, if it's England, I would say the food and drink I'd get is probably still available. Uh, I'd probably get a crunchy, a pack of Smith's Square Crisps when they were still Smith's and called Square Crisps and a Beezer and Topper. When they, ah, there you go. For the few years they were together, that was the best for me. Um, or or, or and a copy, of, if it's a bit earlier, a copy of Oink or the Bog Paper. Um, <laughs> I remember Oink. Uh, yeah. In America, I would... All right, here we go. If I was in America... I would get a packet of Eagle Crisps because they don't exist anymore. They were Kettle Crisps back before everyone and their dad was making Kettle Crisps. They were one of the few. Uh, I'd get them and I would get a Crystal Pepsi if it was 93. Nice. Oh, do you you know what I actually... And this is one of the things about going to America when I was younger I used to love is the two things I used to do or three things I used to do when I used to get here in North America. I would open the newspaper and look at what was on in the movies I would turn on the TV and just surf through what was in a miracle of a hundred and something channels. And then at some point we'd go to a supermarket and I'd go to the cereal aisle. Oh, American cereals. Even now, even now I must admit the cereal aisles are pretty impressive, but they're not what they used to be. You don't get free Um, stuff anymore. I've got, I used to get so much stuff. I've got like Ninja Turtle cups that came on packs of cookie crisp, like a full cup. And not just like a little kid's, like a full-sized cup. <laughs> How did they fit it in there? Um, <laughs> it was on the outside. I, I do remember that. It was in a big cellophane wrapper. Wow. Well, the, the good thing about American cereal was like every cartoon or film license that existed had cereal. Yeah. It was in, amazing. There was like Legend Nintendo, of Zelda cereal. Yeah, exactly. As I yeah. say, Nintendo cereal. There was. Um, my favourite ones were Count Chocula and Frankenberry. Oh, they're classic. Who is it? Tarantino likes or Quentin Tarantino. He's a fan of like the old um, cereals like that, like Ch- Count yeah. Chocula and all that. I mean, at the moment, we actually go. Funny, we just did this this morning. We do because we've been living in North America for about a year and a half now. So we do every Saturday morning. We sit down and we watch some kind of cartoons, although it's on streaming, and we eat cereal. And we've been working our way through the cereal aisle. Uh, we've I've got a box of Ego cereal. In oh, her, I remember them. Um, and we got Captain Crunch, and we've done. You know, they've also got Lucky Charms and uh, Gold, uh, Golden Grams, and and all of those. But we're kind of running out. There's not as many as there used to be, uh, for sure. I certainly can't find uh, Chocula and Frankenberry anymore. And all the promotional ones, like uh, you were just describing, Dan, you know, they don't seem to exist anymore. But the classics, you know, Frosted Flakes and all of that, Frosties, as we call them in England. Lucky uh, Charms. Golden Grahams. I think I I saw somewhere on the internet you can buy a bag of just the marshmallows from Lucky Charms. I really, oh, really? They're really chalky. They're not, they're not actually as nice as they look because they're all sort of freeze-dried, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, really... they're not like real. I tried it once to recreate Lucky Charms with real actual marshmallows bought from Tesco, and I realized that the marshmallows in Lucky Charms are like hard and they're designed, uh, whereas these ones were like soft and it was awful. <laughs> it was like eating poo or something. <laughs> it doesn't work. But, yeah. but you know, when, you, when you're growing up and when you see these things on TV, and then you go to America and try them. You're like, ah, not quite what I thought it was. It's like American chocolate. I know this is, that could be a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. It's just not quite 
Well, this is it. To flip side, you guys talking about going over to America and seeing all the things that they have better. Um, when I would come back every summer in the 90s to England, for me, it was the opposite. It was like, okay, looking at all the things that I left behind in England or I couldn't get in America. So um, like, for one thing, it was the our, obviously, as we just said, our sweets were better, like all our chocolates and everything yes. were better. Our crisps, in my opinion, our yep. crisps were better. Um, even as I got older, things like video game magazines and stuff were so much better over here than they were in America because they were like funnier and they dealt more because as we also mentioned that Europe doesn't have the video game selection, you have to deal with imports. So they were dealing more with like imports from Japan and things like that. And then as I got older, the music, like I got into like dance, like trance and all that kind of stuff and like chill out, like Cafe Del Mar type stuff, which in England you can get like HMV or like corner mm. shops. And then I go to America and it's like, I had to go to, I lived in South Florida. I'd have to go to like Miami beach and go to the, I think it was the specs music on fifth street and fifth Avenue. And it was like $50 for uh, like a, a now dance album, like a, like a trance album that was imported. And it's like, what the hell? Like, so anytime I came over, I was like, right. It was basically like you guys like, right. What do I need to get while I'm here? Like get some magazines, get some crisps, get some chocolate, get some music, stuff it all in a case and come back. And then when the, our family would come out and stay with us, they'd bring an empty case as well and stuff it. I remember one of my cousins buying, um, not Lou roll, but like paper towels or something because like the brawny paper towel, brawny brand paper towels in America were better than whatever you could get in England at the time. But it was a real case of like, I mean, what I do now, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but um, I like to go when I go to America, I go to Bath and Body Works and get their foaming hand soaps. Oh man. Bring them back. And then I found someone on eBay (laughs) selling them for like a tenner. And I was like, that's a lot of money for soap but I can't buy it over here. (laughs) Do you know what's really weird? I also used to go to Bed Bath & Beyond when I used to come over here. And there's weird things they'd have like, sorry listeners, scented candles and foam bath mats and all these things. Like, Because over here in North America, you have these specialty shops that just do bath stuff. Yeah. Or just do you know, a certain type of kitchen thing or like the barbecue shop. You don't really get that in Europe, <laughs> right? Bar- barbecue Depot, Sport Depot, you know. Like every- authority, yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, Garden Furniture Depot. And we've been doing our shopping in places like that. And even now, though, what's interesting is like we were looking for garden furniture a little while ago and we looked online and stuff. And and then we started to, we, I, I said to Gavin, you know, there must be, there must be like a garden furniture depot, and funny enough, there is. So it's not called that. It's called something else. <laughs> and we went there, and it was all this stuff that wasn't that I'd never seen before online. And you're like, because of the size of the country, and because it actually still does quite a lot of local manufacturing, both Canada and and the USA. There's gonna, there's still a lot of stuff like when you go to a big store like that that you will not have seen anywhere else. And we're still surprised by stuff, not as much as you know, like we're talking about, like in the eighties and nineties. But you can still go to a supermarket or a shop here and just see things which make you chuckle. You know, like <laughs> like in the supermarket, you can buy egg whites separated from egg yolks, which wow. is like genius. <laughs> <laughs> Who thought of that, you know? So that, that still, to a certain degree, goes on. But I think what you're describing, Richard, as well, is, is, isn't that really a, um, a result of globalization? Mm. where so you're talking about the napkins or or, or hand towels right but now everything is made in 
China or South yeah. America or India. So everybody's sourcing the same stuff. So it might have a different name in the UK than from America or even Australia, but it's probably coming from the same place, unless it's something local like furniture. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. something, or, or maybe more of a food product or something. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, uh, like crunchies, I like to think, and, and 99 flakes and things like that are still the ingredients I like to think come from England. But yeah, it's like nowadays, like this is what I, I see some people complain about now is that globalization with the result of culture. It's like cultures used to be, their cultures are getting more and more and more the same because everyone's listening to the same music, watching the same movies, seeing the same shows, eating the same things. And it's kind of, like even I just remember in like England, the different parts of England seemed a lot more different, and they still they're still different now. But it, it's just the world's becoming a much 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 smaller place for better and worse. I mean, it, there's a heck of a lot of good about it. Like we were just saying um, with regards to communication, like the fact that I can now chat endlessly with everyone I know, like my family in Australia, my friends in America, everyone around the world, as if it's nothing. Like if I'd have known this back in like 1988 or something, it would have completely blown my mind. It's mm. just like you can chat to anyone, anywhere. And like you were saying before as well about everything being so instant with like regards to music. I remember when um, like a song would come out and I remember coming home from school and watching like Rap City and waiting for the music video to come on so I could tape it because otherwise, you know, I, I don't know if I'd hear it again because I can't find the song in the shops. Whereas now I could just go on YouTube and yeah. it'll be there, you know, it's... Yeah, absolutely. I've, I found um, last night I was trying to find some films to some particular films to watch. And even though we have instant gratification everywhere, the other thing that's happened to us as a society is we expect everything for free. Yes. Um, that's a good point. And Very I true. was, we were decided that, well, well, first of all, I'm trying to watch all the way through the MCU right from the beginning and you'd think that would be easy you just have to get um disney plus but there's one or two films one in particular that's not on the list because of distribution issues which is the um the hulk film from 2008 um and now i can pay for it on google but i actually found myself or from apple itunes whatever but i actually found myself reluctant to do so because it wasn't on one of the streaming services and I thought, mm. well, I could download it. Now, in the end, I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's only $3.99, and it's going to be in UHD 4K, <laughs> right? Just, Jesus, just pay the $4. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, but the same with, we wanted to catch up with all of the Kong Godzilla movies. So I watched the, the reading list. It's like, you know, Skull Island, King of Monsters, or whatever. And for whatever reason, none of those are available on any of the streaming services anywhere. You have to pay for them. And I had that same moment again. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pay for this. It's because you're thinking you're already paying for it because you're paying for streaming. I guess, I guess yeah, so. I think that's yeah. where the mental leap is because it's like, no, I'm already paying. I'm not paying on yeah. top of what I'm paying because whatever. But um, no, speaking of the Marvel stuff, this is completely derailing everything. But I bought that 400 quid 23 film box set of the entire Infinity Saga. <laughs> oh wow yeah and i wow. spent i spent about five days watching him six films a day i think it was about six films a day and i got through it in about five days well and- <laughs> you, do you know i i got very excited back in 2012 2013 when the blu-ray editions of the entire star wars saga came out and i bought them and i got it for christmas i think it was 2014 i got it for christmas whenever it came out and we started watching them um but no sooner had we started watching them than I realized 
I can just stream these on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And it's less hassle. Now, you don't get all of the peripheral stuff around that's it. What, that's what you pay for. Because I remember that was, I mean, this is me being a proper, what's the word? For, Luddite um, was when DVDs came out and I was still totally fine with videotapes. But, I mean, it wasn't the picture quality that moved me over. It was this, the special features. Yes, absolutely. I was like, oh, look at all this stuff. There's a behind the scenes and commentary. I can't get that on video. So that's what made me switch. And that's what's kind of making me hesitant to give up on buying physical media because I like all the behind the scenes. You don't always get that. But you, you've raised an interesting point. Maybe, Dan, this could be a segue into a different, slightly discussion, because even though you say that it was the uh, the peripheral stuff that made you switch, I bet once you got used to DVD, the next time you go back to VHS, the quality was a lot Oh, worse. it was appalling. Remember? I remember <laughs> yeah. I, I had taped Back to the Future Part 3 off television, and that was my copy, adverts and all. And I was completely fine with that. I saw no problem in any time I watched Back to the Future Part 3. It was taped off telly with adverts. That was just a part of the experience, and I saw nothing wrong with it. Whereas now, it's like if I'm buying something, I'm like, this DVD is 720? What the hell? Like, it should be 1080. And it's, and then I, I, yeah, it's just, it turned, I think not just me, I think it turned a lot of people into kind of audio visual snobs as far as quality is concerned. And like, Ooh, this won't do. It has to be proper. And like people talking about the um, noise reduction in the Blu-ray of Predator is too high. So you can't see the pores on Arnold Schwarzenegger's face and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, is this what we've come to? I used to tape stuff off telly. <laughs> like, yeah, you watch just, that. You just watch what you were given. But I also think, coming back to what you were saying, Dennis, about streaming services, is we, we probably moan that, I don't know, we probably spend 20, 30 pounds on streaming services a month. If you think back to the, you know, the 80s and 90s, or even early noughties, when you would hire videos or DVDs, how much you'd probably spend a week yes. on, on just rentals. Oh, and it wasn't just, like, I know the internet is in love with the nostalgia of Blockbuster, but I remember when even the internet was like for the nostalgia of the pre-Blockbuster, like mum and dad corner mm-hmm. shop, which we still have here uh, where I live. Uh, we still have a video rental shop, I think, because we've got a lot of older people. Do, do you but, live in, ni- in 1991? I wish I lived in 1991. <laughs> I swear. They even have, they're not a Blockbuster, but they somehow have a Blockbuster sign. And it used, until a few years ago, it used to be outside. Now I was going to take a picture and like, upload it somewhere like look it's still here but yeah it's you'd go in and you spend like i remember blockbuster in america i think was three dollars i think it was three or five dollars for like a two night three day two night rental and yeah you'd go in and like i would just rent and i'm sure i'm not the only one to rent the same things over and over again yeah you come on back to feature part two please Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah totally Totally. And we we think nothing of that. You know, our, our but, parents would think nothing of... of yeah, they'd just be like, oh, you're getting this again? All right. I mean, I, I think, though, that quality issue, and now we, let's bring this around, also goes to other things as well. One of the reasons my nostalgia... You were speaking about games. I didn't talk about games. I find myself unable, completely unable, to play retro games, unless it's something I've never played before. So I recently got into playing the XCOM series. But even then, I can only really go back to 2010 because from about then onwards, actually, the quality is fine. But I can't play stuff from the 90s or the 80s. Like Sonic the Hedgehog? Not really. Um, Actually, no. (laughs) Some things like Sonic, I think, are fine, actually. 
because uh, mm. the new Sonic that's come out recently doesn't look that different from the old one, and it works for what it is. But some of the older games, it's just like, no. I like, I, I like to play a lot of RPGs and strategy games. And depending on how they were made originally, they just don't work for me now. Like even the ones that I love, like me and my friends, we played Neverwinter Nights when it came out in, in 2001, 2002. And it's the only game that all, I'm going to go with 12 of us, bought so we could all play together online, right? Every single one of us has got all, in fact, I can see them on my shelf now. But I recently went back to try and play it. I just, I just can't do it. It just doesn't look good enough anymore and it's the same i sort of feel that way about looking at vhs's and some things now for whatever reason that doesn't really apply to music i think the human ear the brain is quite good at getting past the noise quite all the quality issues in music and there's some i guess there's some argument to say that music hasn't actually got better in audio quality because it's just become so surgical and digitize that actually that older analog sound is something we crave for. But I personally don't crave for that in video games. But isn't that a visually. thing with, with the music? Isn't that like a style now that, that kind of old lo-fi sound? Mm. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I really don't follow music now. I'm, I'm one of those guys where my taste in music stopped about 10 years ago, I think. But um, yeah, I, I, I got Spotify to try and get into it. But then it kind of realized the music I like and just kept showing me the old stuff that I liked. So I was like, all right. <laughs> so, well, okay, Spotify, I get the message. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, what, what you're probably saying there is that sometimes the music, some of the, some of the value that we, we hold dear in music is, is part of the imperfections, part of the, the kind of the, the rawness, the, the live aspect, the, you know, the timing issues, the untuned guitars. I think all those things can create different textures to, to music to make, to make things sound different because, you know, there, there's probably, oh God, am I going to use the word homogenization? There's, there's a lot of music that's very similar. You know, if we, if we really think about all the different chord structures and the order of those chord structures, they've probably all been done a million times to death. Like there's a lot of songs which sound incredibly similar to the songs of, of the, the 50s, 60s and 70s. When I think probably music in term, in terms of original structure probably peaked, but now there's, you know, the, the digital aspect of music and, and what's being done kind of electronic electronically and all, all the different kind of sounds and things and things like um, auto-tune and vocoder and things that are used um, in music that would never have been uh, used you know back in the in, in the 80s and 90s I guess it's you know it, it there's so many different kind of textures to music. But I think for, well, for me personally, I sometimes crave, you know, I, I, cr I crave a less, uh, what's the word, a less sophisticated sound. I don't want to hear, you know, I don't want to hear auto-tune or I don't want to hear um, uh, vocals that have been, that, that every kind of error or, you know, they've been so finely tuned and mm. digitally mastered that everything is, is perfect. And that, and that that takes something away 
um, from but a lot I, of music. I would, I would say that's not necessarily to do with the technology on its own. So in the late 80s and early 90s, I spent a lot of time in the recording studios because I have a lot of friends who are sound engineers. And I would just sit in there and while they worked late at night and then we'd go out and do something. So I've watched a lot of stuff happen in studios in, and some quite big artists as well in the studios. So for instance, if you, if you listen to Nana Cherry's first album, um, for most of those songs, while she's singing, I'm in the room next door. <laughs> for example, like not, not just her, there's quite a few. There was a particular studio that I used to hang out in, uh, in uh, Kensal Green in London, which is quite, was quite famous at the time. Um, but I observed at the time it had one of the reasons it attracted very big artists was because it had a Fairlight Series 3 um, and a very early Cubase and stuff, which in 1990, no, no one had those. Um, so, you know, big artists used to come there from the United States and from Europe and whatever. But watching my sound engineer friends uh, work with that, those, that equipment, which is not as sophisticated as we have now, but it's still fully digital. These were guys who had been sound engineers, analog sound engineers for years and knew how to splice and cut tape. And they, they were still working the desks and stuff. That is a far cry from producers. And I don't want to lessen the skill of uh, the producers that we have now, but it's a far cry from people who set up at home with various bits of software and can loop everything and play everything and do everything in a computer now than handling all that equipment. It's the same technology, but what I think is missing is the craft and the experience at 10,000 hours of making a song. And that's one of the things that, that we kind of miss. Almost like anyone can make music now in the same way that nearly anyone can make anything now at home. The markets are flooded and part of it is we don't have the curation. I mean, on the one hand, it's great not to have gatekeepers, right? But on the other hand, now it's hard to cut through the noise and find those gems. Those gems are still out there. But once upon a time, if a book, a comic, a piece of music was not up to snuff, it wouldn't get published. People wouldn't bank on it. So I think the quality filter was different if you get what I mean. So things came yeah. in to the public eye that had already been vetted. Now, this creates all sorts of other problems like, you know, representation and diversity and nepotism and all stuff like that. Yes. And I'm glad those things are, are starting to go away. But, but the other thing that it created was a far higher quality in general. You know, a record company would pay for a band like Pink Floyd or whoever to spend a year in a studio doing a studio album. Right. Um, whereas, you know, and provide them with whatever they needed and the best sound engineers and whatever, and they would create their best work. That doesn't happen anymore. Well, it does, but only for certain artists who can afford to do it. So, yeah, uh, and it's the true. same with, it's the same with movie making and visual effects and stuff now, visual effects are everywhere, all over the place. And I work in the visual effects industry, right? So guilty as, as charged. But um, back back in like the 90s, so it would take a special movie like Terminator 2 or Jurassic Park to, to be able to afford to have those shots. And, you know, when you look at Jurassic Park and count the VFX shots, they're actually quite low by comparison. Interesting, I can't remember what film it was I was watching the other night. And I realized, in fact, it was a dark... It was the Dark Knight. It wasn't even, it was one of the Christopher Nolan Batman films. And I was surprised at how short the credits were compared to a movie that happens now. The Marvel movies have credits that go on for days. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean they have to because it's the only they way they have to because I, I I've been hearing that the the effects how some like they have to bring in multiple effects houses to finish and some of them go out of business because like a lot of them take take the work for less money so they can tell other people hey I worked on Black Panther and everyone's like I love Black Panther yeah you can do the work for us and charge them full price but then apparently this is also the problem is they sometimes like work themselves to the point that they go out of business. Yeah, that's very much the case. I mean, it's it's there's there's levels of complexity on it, and it's not all from the point of view of the studios. But we do um, end up the the money distribution in our industry isn't very good, and there's now it's getting to the point where there's a few very large companies. Again, it's globalization, right? I work for the largest company in the business, DNEC. Um, just as a disclaimer to everybody, um, and you know, you'll be hard pressed to find a big screen movie that does not have a DNEC credit. I mean, in the last 10 years, we've won, I think, six of the visual effects Oscars. We won this year. I think we won the year before. We won the year before that. We, this year, we got it for Tenant. The year before, I think we got it for Blade Runner 2049. We got it for First Man. Um, we got it for Interstellar. Um, and But it takes a studio the size of the one I work for to be able to cope with that system and not go out of business. Um, so, and that's another, that's globalization. And the small player, the boutique places, it's very hard for them to get along. Same with comics, same with books, same with TV. You know, that's um, unfortunate, I think. I think we'll have to do a podcast on deep fakes and, and the ability to de-age or, or recreate someone um, digitally from scratch, like um, Princess Leia, um, Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, there's been uh, Kurt yeah. Russell. Yeah, there's been there's been so many. Um, that's, that's oh, lo- loads, loads. Uh, uh, what's it? Most recently, Luke Skywalker in a Mandalorian, um, and it wasn't even a deep fake. They did it different. They did it differently. Um, there's two. There's two more uh, nostalgia things I just would like to talk about. Uh, Is one of them. Mm-hmm. Did Quattro become Lil? <laughs> no, it didn't. Quattro and Lil were always separate products. Uh, but that's that's partly one of them was commercials and advertising. Oh. I find myself watching, going on these random YouTube rabbit holes, looking at commercials from the eighties and nineties because these are the things I remember. When you said Smith's Square Crisps earlier, mm. I remembered the Lenny Henry advert <laughs> for it. <laughs> it's Square, you know, that he used mm. to do. And I get that. When you said Quattro just now, I remember the Quattro advert, that weird futuristic machine where it's, you know, fruit went in one side and it all like moved around the machine and a can of Quattro came out the other side. But what what did happen to Quattro? Because I don't understand because I remember I used to buy it weekly and then it just disappeared. Same thing that happened to Jolt Cola and many other things. It's just the I market Jolt, can, can only support Jolt Cola Sony. still exists, doesn't it? I don't think so. Oh. It might do, but I don't think so. Um the market can only support so many products, but you know, you, well, or can it, this is the question. I mean, look at the music industry where, as you've often pointed out, Dan, the record labels actually put out less work than they used to, and then complain that downloading has cost them their industry. But actually, whereas once they might've put out a hundred artists a year, now they put out 20. 
So, and I think the same is true with, with crisps. And we were talking about breakfast cereals earlier. I remember I said there's less cereals in the aisles. There's not less people on the planet. Oh, no. So why are there less cereal brands? So, you know, I, I, that is an, just an interesting, well, what did happen to Quattro? Whatever happened to, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, I think we've got to get this out of the way. It's the dumbest of all the nostalgia kind of um, cliches is do we think that chocolate, you know, different confectionery, sweets, crisps were were bigger, there was more of them when when we were kids, or is it just literally because we were a kid and therefore everything was, was bigger because we were smaller? I think the deal with crisps, and I realised this the other day, is because I used to eat them one at a time and now I eat them <laughs> three at a time because, like... <laughs> I used to eat Hovis biscuits, and this is really embarrassing for me to admit. But you know, Hovis biscuits look like a loaf of bread from the side. I used I to, do, eat, yeah. I used to eat the top off, the top of the loaf, and then I used to eat it letter by letter. I tried that a few <laughs> years ago, and it's like my mouth is so big now. I was just like, this, "What?" And I was obviously this. I was when I was like five, so I could easily do that, and it's no problem. So no, the Hovis biscuits haven't gotten smaller. My mouth has just gotten bigger in more than one way. I guess. So, <laughs> what was the sweet? Uh, what was the what was the chocolate that came in a packet? It wasn't Revels. It was like each one was slightly different. Orange center, strawberry center, coconut center, toffee. That's Revels, surely. No, no, Revels is all. They're all the same. Revels are all like one type. Is it? Isn't it? No, no, no. Another. No, Re- Revels has a Malteser, a coffee one, an orange one. Um, I can't remember a, a pure chocolate one. And a toffee one or a caramel one. Okay. And then I guess it was Revels. I thought Revels was slightly different. And a Minstrels was the one which is just chocolate. So Revels, right? So yeah. we used to get, we had like an aged aunt who always used to give me and my sister sweets and stuff. But I'm very fussy about uh, processed coconut. I really don't like it. And there's, there's that coconut, the bounty one that was in there, right? But I love, I love the orange scented one. So I had this way of biting partly into the round Maltese-like thing and removing half the shell of chocolate without tampering. <laughs> I mean, when I think about it, this is an amazing evolutionary skill that I developed that I could like just just like nip, nip the Malteser or whatever it was a little bit, pull off half the chocolate shell and, and leave the center intact. And me and my sister would go through a packet and we would divide them between us. She'd get the strawberry ones, I'd get the orange ones, she'd get the coconut ones, I'd get the Malteser ones. Um, and we would divide, we'd divide them that way. So your, your Hovis biscuit eating thing, don't, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> but I, I also swear to God, I, I used to buy Curly Whirly and they were massive. And even wagon wheels were But massive. you were smaller. I think yeah. I think it is that we the older I get, the more I'm like, no, we were just a lot smaller then. I mean I do agree with people that they put more air in bags of crisps now, but then I think I read somewhere that Lay's in America, which is the they, they even own Britain now. They they own like all the crisps in the world. They said they did it because the less air they have in the bag, the more likely the crisps are to get like crushed in transport and things which I don't know how true that is, but to be honest, it sounds pretty so safe. Lay's is Walker's, isn't it? Lay's owns Walker's now, yeah. Well, so, well, actually, PepsiCo own Lay's. 
Oh, yes, this is it. It's all like, what was that? Was and, that movie and had been or for a, a long time. Was there a movie or a TV show where it's like everything was owned by one company or like the entire world was divided yeah. up into like four companies? Uh, no, um, in um, Demolition Man. That's it, Demolition Man, where it's like Taco Bell is every restaurant. <laughs> yeah, Taco Bell won. So there's also, um, there's also uh, Idiocracy, if you haven't yes, seen it. Yes, I, I genuinely think we are heading to that as a, 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 as a future. Um, no, PepsiCo owned Lay's. Um, okay. So the other thing was, so there was com- well, there was commercials because I found my, and that's partly because when I think of the eighties and seventies and nineties, I think of it in terms of commercial jingles, and they do what they're intended to do. They just embed. And I, I remember as a kid watching coming up to Christmas and all the toy adverts and the ones I can even, I'm not going to do it, but I can like the Skelet's trick and Hornby and. Uh, I can even remember the words to the songs that on those adverts. Um, and it was all very, very exciting to see that because it wasn't just seeing a toy advert on screen. It was seeing it in its perfect form. Like they would over the Skeletric adverts, they would always show them with the camera down at the track and the lights are on. And it's like it was, they were real cars. And the, the, the real experience was never that. You know? Or you'd see like Transformers um, and they'd have this lovely like Games Workshop style desert play area with all yes. this like perfectly created <laughs> backdrop to play against. Meanwhile, you get it home and you're playing it on the rug in the living room. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Same with Lego stuff as well. Oh, Lego's yeah, the Lego. worst one for that. Oh, Lego used to be terrible. It's just like yeah. you'd see they'd have everything perfect and they would even have, I remember for, I think it was Paradisia, the Paradisia Beach Cafe uh, set where they had the like this was one of that was i believe the only set that used that base plate and it had the effect of a beach and they managed to have the backdrop match up with the effect of the beach and i i remember as a child looking at that being like who has this even at that age i suddenly got a bit cynical i was like who has that yeah totally totally um the the do you are there any are there any adverts you remember from childhood uh dan linger when you think back yeah i mean i think the transformers ones were really odd because the they they made the kid they they did things digitally to the kids eyes so that they had like glowing red (laughs) eyes or like lasers and or i made them talk like a transformer and things like that it was just just really weird thing you know weird effects that you would never get in in sort of today's adverts because you know we we've, we've probably moved so far on um in terms of what we could do but yeah the the a lot of the adverts because obviously, obviously I guess we don't we, we don't I don't see I don't have a lot of exposure to kids toy adverts so I don't really <laughs> know what the, how they are now but but back then I was always you know it, it was always a group of kids you know, running around with the toys in their hand. And it was always so crap, but you always wanted what they had. But when you actually look back at what they were doing, you know, it, it's literally the equivalent of someone with an airplane going, meow, oh, no, shoot, you, you've shot me. <laughs> oh, no. It was that crap. But yeah. even back then, you still wanted that toy because of that. I remember the ones for Mask, the specific English ones. And I don't know if they were just redubs from America, but it was like, escaped again, mayhem. We'll get you next time. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of need those now. <laughs> no, they were... 
And that that's sorry. I know this is a, a bit of a random aside, but I do love watching. You talk about globalization. It always seems to be things like shampoo or kind of household product adverts. They're always dubbed, and it, they're so. If if you actually bother to watch them, I God God knows why you would. But you actually, if you actually try and watch the actor or actress and look at their lips. They're never in time to what's being said, and most of the the, um, the 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 dubbed voiceovers are are kind of going on when they've got their head turned, so you can't actually see them speak. And you think, you know, you think in in modern society, it's almost quite reassuring that they would take one advert, record it in I don't know China for for no money whatsoever, and then just dub over it for all, all the European um, and English-speaking countries. It's, it, it, it makes me laugh that that is still a thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was on, there's actually two other things that are on my list. One is uh, just about um, being an expert or, or, or having knowledge of stuff, <coughs> because back in pre-internet, I mean, this is definitely an internet thing, right? But pre-internet, you could be an expert on something because you put your work into it. So like in the eighties, I used to go to the comic shops and first of all, I was one of the few of my friends who even knew where the comic shops were because there were lots of little ones and I would go in there. I'd spend hours in there. I'd buy back issues and I'd read them back and, you know, and I'd have, I'd be the go-to person with knowledge on the history of Spider-Man or something like that. And you could do that with music. I'm sure you spent hours going through back catalog music stuff in record stores, Dan. Yeah. Um, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just instantly find anything anywhere. And somehow that takes, I don't know, there's, there's something that that does to our into, to my enjoyment of things. Like the discovery process is almost too easy now. Well, it's, I, hard I, to be, it's hard to be surprised. It's hard to find something that you've never heard of. Every now and again on YouTube, you'll come across something and be like, how have I never seen any of these? You know, uh, but it's very unusual now. And like most of the time when I turn around to someone and say, hey, have you seen blah, blah, blah? They're like, yeah, we've seen all 100 of them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'd actually counter that because I, I mean, I, I, at the moment I, I let my Spotify subscription lapse because uh, I really think the fact that they give 0.004 pence um, per streaming, you know, so many artists get absolutely nothing out of that service but um i do find it interesting if, if you go to all the le legitimate um download services uh, like bandcamp for example um i think that that allows you to go down quite fun rabbit holes where you go because they, they arrange things by genre and as soon as you pick one band there'll be all the other bands on that uh kind of digital recording label and then they kind of do a lot of targeted advertising through emails to kind of show you other bands you might like. So I think it it's definitely not what it was. I mean, I, I used to, every Saturday without fail, I would go to uh, probably three or four different record shops and just spend all my time looking through CDs and trying to have conversations with the people that work there Um in order to find out, you know, what, what I should be buying, basically. Um, so it's definitely not as fun. Um, 
But I do think if if you move away from the, the kind of mainstream services like iTunes and Spotify and go to the more kind of I don't I don't mean like indie as in indie rock music, but independent mm-hmm. labels and independent kind of uh, legitimate downloading services, it you can you can spend quite a bit of time kind of discovering some interesting yeah. bands and artists. But I, I, definitely I, not I, the same as, you know, when we were growing up. I mean I kind of I kind of miss like real DJs. Right, uh, talking about stuff on the radio. I still listen to a lot of radio, and I'm probably one of the few people left that does. Um, a lot of the stuff I listen to is uh, just internet radio, so it's really just a streaming playlist. And when you're out and about places, you sometimes hear like, random bits of music. Now, obviously, we have great tools like Shazam or Soundhound, which, I mean, that's another one, right? Shazam. You just hold your phone. You don't even have to do the dial-the-number thing that you used to do back in when it first came out. You just hold your phone, and within about 20 seconds, it recognizes the tune and tells you what it is. If that's not the future, I don't know what is, right? Um, but it, I miss listening to DJs not just talk about a track, but talk about maybe something to do with the artist or some of the background behind it or where they may be performing or, you know, the stuff that you get on. You still get it, I guess, on Radio 6 or, or something like that. But it's just most of the stuff we listen to now is just curated playlists. So that knowledge bit, which I think is all part of the anticipation that I talked about at the beginning, is also diluted and changed, and we just don't have that. It's just very now sort of off-the-shelf, you know, easily packaged stuff that we just pluck, consume, and discard. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you both if you think the cult of celebrity has affected nostalgia. In what mm. way? Because that's definitely a new thing. It's not a new thing. There's always been a certain amount of yeah, celebrities. Yeah, there's definitely always the cult- been the cult of celebrities always been there. But not the way it is now. I think social media has probably fueled that the way it is now. Um, I mean, that's, as as you've been saying before, that's probably a topic for a whole separate thing on the... The, the 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 bad and the and the, I guess one or two good things about social media, but um, yeah, there, there, there are no good things. Yeah, was, there are no good trying things. to be diplomatic. One, one of the, <laughs> I think one of the th- reasons I asked this is because again, as I remember it, back in the eighties and nineties and stuff, things would become popular and they would come from the underground. They'd come from the people, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you knew it had gone commercial when celebrities jumped on board. Right now, it seems to be the other way around. Uh, maybe not for us in our age group, but it definitely seems that the the younger age groups and thanks to social media, people are only interested in what's coming out of celebrity. And if it's not coming out of celebrity, if it's not you know already got that uh, Rolling Stone thing like you know like uh, momentum, then it's not interesting. And the the, the small sort of more genuine stuff which uh, we sort of maybe are missing what we're talking about, what you were just referring to and things like Bandcamp or whatever, Dan, that seems to be dying because there's just this globalization and uh, dominance of media by big players. And I think that affects nostalgia in a way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I don't think, obviously we had celebrity when we were growing up, but we didn't have reality TV. Um, I think even when you think about um, 
when MTV stopped being music television and just became purely about mm. um, reality yeah. TV, yeah, yeah, that did yeah. that did change things. It did, and, and again, it affects the discovery process. It affects the knowledge acquisition process of music and the background. They're like there's, you know, uh, for a while I, I haven't seen VH1 for years, but for but VH1 became better music television than MTV at one point. Because at least you'd have a documentary about, you know, the secret life of Prince or, or some behind the music. But we had know. the we had the box for a while where you could call up and like request music videos to yeah, your phone right. and that's like now because the other was it the other day i was like man i missed the box and then i was sitting there in front of youtube and i was like well it's never coming back because this is ten thousand times better <laughs> it is except except everybody's looking at something different and the nice thing about the box is that everybody watching the box at that moment in time would have been watching the same thing and there's a certain sort of community of viewing and consumerism that's gone you don't know if everything you listen to today is the same thing that everything that Dan listened to today. Oh, right, it's definitely you, not. <laughs> yeah. Dread so. to think what Dan was listening to today. So, um, I've got an answer to your original question, Dan, about is there something from the 80s I could have now? And I'd probably would I be disappointed if I know what it is. It took me a while to think about it. Is it Tab Cola? No, it's the great Huckleburger from Huckleberries. I don't know. Huckleberries. So Huckleberries was a burger chain which was eventually subsumed into either Wimpy or Burger King. Um, but they their main burger, which went toe to toe with like the Big Mac or the Quarter Pounder, was called the Great Huckleburger. This would have been in the mid eighties, and there was wow. a Huckleberries on Shepherd's Bush Green. Um, actually just by Shepherd's Bush Station. We used to, at school, we used to go and play rugby at Warren Farm in West London. And on the way back, you'd get off the 207 bus and right there, there was a Huckleberry's on the corner. Um, so I would go in and buy the Great Huckleburger. It was probably like a pound 80 and it was a burger bigger than my face. Now, <laughs> bearing in mind I was only 14, this was like the best thing ever. And I remember the commercial, you may have learned enough, you may have flown in a clear balloon or seen the man that's in the moon. But if you've ever been to Huckleberries, if you've never been to Huckleberries, you just ain't lived until you have tried our 100% pure beef pa- uh, quarter pounder in the Great Huckleburger. I can remember it to this day. And it just wow. one day, I got off that bus and it turned into a pizza hut. Ooh, and oh, because no. it was back then, I had no idea what happened. It's like, what? What's happened now? Now you go online, Huckleberries, and it will just say Huckleberries bought by PepsiCo, blah, blah, blah. But back then it was just, it just vanished. Wendy's was another one. We used to have Wendy's in the UK. They've made a, they're coming back again, by the way. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to say um, in Stratford, in Stratford, on Stratford High Street, not even in Westfield, there is uh, a Wendy's that is taking the place of Pizza Hut. It hasn't opened yet, but it's coming soon. Wow. Which I thought was. Quite random. I don't remember Huckleberries. I remember you, you had record shops like Our Price and Sam Goody, and they went, and obviously um, Woolworths disappeared. And then there was, I, I mean, Wimpy, I think, still exists in a few rare places. But you also had Happy Eater and Little Chef, which were, which were the first kind of motorway service eaters eateries. Yeah, oh, they've both gone. gone. I think I think Little Chef's gone as well. Uh, At least Little Chef is definitely gone. I think Happy Eater's gone now as well. 
I think um, Huckleberry's, not Huckleberry's, uh, Wimpy, there's probably a lot more of them than you realise. There's one in Clapham, there's one on Streatham High Road, there's one in Ryslip. There's still a lot of Wimpies out there. But and they all look very sad and sorry for themselves. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it always made me laugh because it's the only place where you could go and get a bender in a bun. <laughs> It it was just, yeah, I think it was the only, like, my my parents used to like going there. We used to go to Wimpy all the time. You you had knife and fork, didn't you? It was like a a takeaway (laughs) place that wasn't a takeaway place. You actually sat in with a knife and fork and plate. It it was, yeah, the food was fairly terrible. It It wasn't any better than McDonald's, really, apart from you could probably get, like a freshly cooked breakfast, which I suppose is something you, you well, not, you, yeah, a bit better quality than McDonald's anyway. Um, Richard, you, you lived in Florida. Yep. When was that? What year? What, what time? 91 to 2007. So do you remember McDonald's having a burger called the McDLT? That was in the 80s. Um, right. I think I was alive when that was out, but I in the eighties I'd just eat chips at McDonald's because <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's another one that I would crave for. I remember I, um, someone asked me the other day if I remember the Arch Deluxe, which was oh, released right. in the two okay. thousands, I think, which was McDonald's attempt to go upmarket, and it it's like no one goes to McDonald's for anything upmarket. I mean, the chicken select strips are about as upmarket as I'm prepared to go at McDonald's. So it was like, it definitely wasn't something like you'd get from like any of the gourmet burger places in London. So yeah, that's, that's one of the, that's one, I, I wouldn't want to bring that back, but that's one of the more obscure ones that I remember from McDonald's. It's a bit like when Burger King tried to just literally copied the Big Mac and called it the Big King, I think they called it. Yeah. And everyone's like, that's just a Big Mac. We're not going to Burger King for Big Macs. We're going to Burger <laughs> King for Whoppers. And then McDonald's brought out their version of the Whopper, which was, I think, oh, God, I can't remember. The Big and Tasty. McDonald's, this is it. They both brought out each other's hamburgers. The, so, big, the big Tasty. The Big, that's the big, it, the big Tasty. tasty. Yeah. I remember because I remember I bought, bought that for a few times. And then I was like, I think that was around the time I was just like, I'm never coming here for hamburgers again. I'm just sticking with chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the the problem with Burger King is that I swear when it first came to the UK or when it, you know, was first ev- became everywhere um, in the UK, their burgers were freshly cooked on a frame flame grill, and and yeah. now I swear I think they still are, but, but what they started they do, off in a microwave. <laughs> yeah, they reheat them, mm. and therefore, you know, you you can often get. A Burger King burger, which just tastes like rubber, it's really bad. And it's like, whereas when when I when I first went, you know, but going to Burger King was was a treat. It was a bit more expensive. It than still McDonald's. is. It's like double the price if in London. Oh, they, I remember I went to the Burger King at Piccadilly, not Piccadilly, Victoria Station, and it was yeah. like ten quid. And it was just like I was just buying like a burger, fries, and a drink or something. And I was like, mm, no. Well, yeah, I, um, I did the same thing recently on the way home. Uh, Five Guys has moved into that space now, haven't they? 
like in terms of money. Five I, Guys I, is great though. Like they just chuck like the whole fryer full of fries in your I bag, know. and like the burgers are better. Yeah, I love Five I Guys. I think I, I first had Five Guys in Washington D.C. actually at the airport in like 2010 when they were just sort of at that time. I think they were only in New York and D.C. and maybe Philadelphia. And I was just like on my way out from a holiday to the States. I was like, what's this? And I was completely overwhelmed by the amount of fries. But what I distinctly remember was that I got a large fries and a burger for $8 or $6 even, right? And then when they opened in the UK about five or six years ago, I was like, oh my God, five guys are finally here. I remember going into one, the one in Covent Garden, and a burger and fries was 12 pounds. And on the wall, there was a clipping from the New York Times or something, which said the best burger and fries you can have for eight dollars. Eight dollars. Yeah, and I remember thinking, what? And if you look it up, I've done this a few times. If you if you if you Google search Five Guys Menu UK and Five Guys Menu USA, and even now they are we are being overcharged in the UK like one and a half times the amount, two times the amount. Yeah, it's, it's, it's and it that really makes me angry. That like there's no need for that. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's just no need for that because it's not like they're premium. importing anything. Like I can understand why Nintendo yeah. costs more over here because they've got to import it, and there's less of us. Yeah. But we can we we have our own cows, we have our own potatoes. <laughs> it's like yeah. we can grow I this mean, food. <laughs> I can I can I can accept what you pay in dollars is what you pay in pounds. The difference is twenty percent these days, thirty percent, but not the rampant overcharging that they. Also, do. I think I think uh, no, because I was going to. Our corporate tax was lower, but now mm. it's about the same. I think um, payroll taxes, I mean, not to get into to sort of monetary policy, <laughs> I think payroll taxes are quite a bit higher over here. So I don't know how all that works and the difference in price. But yeah, we sh- sometimes like, the price difference. So in, in that regard, things definitely were better back then. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I, just, think- uh, I was just trying to on, post you guys. I, I searched for Huckleburger online i actually did find some stuff but i can't get the uh zencast chat stuff to work so i've just uh i've just messaged you with it then um it might it was a chain that ran from a, from the late 70s to the mid 80s in the uk um and there were 20 restaurants in london um and then it was i think it was swallowed up by wimpy and then uh or sold on to pizza hut and burger king That's it. Interesting. Yeah, because I never knew until I went to America that KFC and Pizza Hut is the same company, isn't it? Which is also owned by Pepsi, I think. Uh, I didn't think KFC was PepsiCo. It's owned by Yum Brands, which I think is a part of the Pepsi conglomerate. It might have changed hands a few times as well, because they tend to, don't they? Um, Yeah, Mm. but, but different Pepsi, different... KFCs in different countries are owned by different companies. Did you know that? So you have Pepsi, you have KFC America, USA and then KFC International. And they can be like, you like the recent story about Philip Morris International has said they want to ban smoking everywhere. And Philip Morris US are like, uh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you think our paychecks come from? Yeah. Well, they, they, they see money in um, legalized cannabis and vaping. Hmm. So they, they want to ban cigarettes, but it doesn't man, mean they, they want to ban addiction to stuff. 
Um, just, I think we we probably should close out the podcast now. But I just wanted to kind of um, riff back on the whole globalization thing because one of the things I miss the most that I, there was definitely more of them when I was a child um, growing up is independent shops because it feels like you you, you go anywhere in Europe. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's the same shops owned by the same companies. Like you, you can't like as a kid. I had I had this routine where I would every time on a Saturday, I would go to the to the local town with my parents, and I would go to there'd be two comic shops. There'd be about four or five independent record stores. Um, there would be you know there'd be even independent you know, book and film and video places like that. And and they all were locally owned. But if I go if I go back home um to the same towns and wanna find anything that isn't just owned by the same companies you, you could go any any part of the country and see the same shops. There's just nothing there. There's no even independent clothes shops. I mean, God, I'm not fashion conscious, but I I always used to like to buy certain types of clothing from certain shops, and they, they don't exist anymore. It's all. It feels like it's the same crap everyone <laughs> buys everywhere, mm. unless you go online. I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier with the garden furniture, I think over here that's slightly different or in as much as maybe they're chains that I've never heard of because I'm from Europe. Um, but I totally uh, I totally agree with you there, Dan. When I went to Vancouver recently, sort of two, three weeks ago, uh, one of the first, I, I, I remember saying to Gavin, get off the plane and you've got Lush Body Shop. Oh, from Uniqlo. Oh. Yeah. You know, uh, all of the, and there were so many, and there were a lot of British shops, actually, that I was, British chains that were, that I wasn't expecting, I don't know why I wasn't expecting to see something like Lush, but that's something I've always associated with the UK high street. Um, Do you know what I mean? But I'm like, wow, that's an international chain as well. And like, these stores were way bigger than the ones in in London. Um, And, you know, body shops everywhere and and those kind of places. And it's uh, exactly as you say. I mean, over here, the department store is still a thing. Shopping malls are still a thing, but they are dying off. Um, but uh, there are a lot of independent stores on the high street. But like I said, it could turn out that they're just a chain that I've never heard of. Mm. Mm. Well, I think we have covered... Um, a great deal of retro nostalgia, future versus present. Um, unless there's anything else you guys want to want to touch on from the past. Something um, I have that I don't have anymore that I'd like is my sword of omens, my toy sword of omens that I lost when I moved <laughs> to Florida. A toy uh, <laughs> sword of omens. But do you not think that 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 exists somewhere for sale? Oh, probably. It's for sale on eBay. Someone probably has it, and they're selling it for hundreds. Just like my Castle Grayskull that also got lost. <laughs> but, but what I mean is, um, 
Surely there's another version of that. Oh, it's there's like- a better version, but it's like, this is why I, I've got a thing where it's like, I don't <laughs> want to buy something I've lost. I only want to buy something I never had because I feel like buying something I lost, like the whole thing with me is that I have my stuff because it's mine. And it's like, if I buy it, it's like, well, this isn't mine. This is just a, someone else's that I now have. So it's like, I wouldn't buy that again. Fair enough. I mean, th- this is this is the other thing that I, that makes me... I mean, I, I guess it's a good thing, but the toy companies are now remaking the original 80s lines and 90s lines of toys with the, the molds that were used back then. Well, they're also they're, doing the, the same, the ones that look similar but are better, like the He-Man. They, they release ones where yeah. it looks like the He-Man toy, but he has full articulation so you can bend his arms. They released, uh, there's two or three different versions of the Ninja Turtles that look like the old toys, but are, or look like, actually they look like the cartoon, 100%, but are oh, yeah, better they, and they, they have look full articulation and like different heads and different hands and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, in that regard, I'm like, yeah, that's there's no way in hell I had anything that cool back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't deny that when you when you look at some of the Transformers toys, which are basically being aimed at our us, yeah us, our age groups, because they're they're you know they're they're completely cartoon or film accurate, and they you know they they take about an hour to transform. Whereas you know I I don't know if my twelve uh, year old self or eight year old self could actually uh, transform the masterpiece. Uh, Megatron. Um, <laughs> I just don't think I, I, I would have a chance. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it is interesting that you know you can get the real Ghostbusters, you can get Star Wars figures, um, and I think I'm trying to think. There's this. Oh, My Little Pony, Boglins. They've literally they're, they're bringing them all back, and they're not. They're not improved versions. They're, they're just the original molds, which is obviously pissing off lots of collectors because that obviously devalues. That means, yeah, yeah, devalues them. Awesome. Well, mm. it has been an absolute pleasure to spend some of my Saturday uh, chatting over the past and nostalgia with you both. Um, thank you to everyone who's uh, listening to this podcast, and join us for the next one. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.